0: Well, good morning, and thanks so much for joining us. It is uh, Tuesday morning, and uh, it is another nice day in the province with uh, spots of the province still seeing some reduced visibility. We've been having lots of fog problems with this mild, warm gusts of air that we've been getting in the province, which, of course, have kept temperatures fairly good, has really reduced some visibility and caused, in some places, even slippery roads. When you get that heavy, dense fog, even if we don't get moisture, Uh, the highways can get very very slick and it's actually the reason that my guest is joining me on the phone this morning as opposed to being in studio with me brian zinchuk who is the uh, owner operator and uh, the mastermind behind PipelineOnline.ca, who joins us on a monthly basis to talk all things gas oil and energy in the province joins us from his office in southeastern saskatchewan brian thanks for taking our call
1: Good morning. Yeah, I saw the forecast and I'm like, do I really want to be on there with other people who may not know how to drive?
0: <laughs> so you decided, you know what, Evan, you're going to have to talk to me on the phone today.
1: So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot going on here right now. This weather actually, it, it factors very heavily into it because uh, usually this is the height of the drilling season in the oil patch. Because the roads are frozen, you can put as much weight as you want on them. You can haul heavy rigs and everything, big truckloads of water, no problem. Well, when you have temperatures of plus 10 for a better part of a week, you have big problems. And it's messy. All, all the snow is gone. The frost is disappearing from both the leases and the roads, uh, and it's just horrible. I got an email from the RMV Best Band yesterday saying they're not issuing road bans yet, but underlined bold. It says there's absolutely no heavy truck traffic on municipal roads until return of freezing temperatures.
0: There, there must be some really tight uh, and strong communication that has to happen between RMs and people that are involved in the in the industry because of that that use of those grids, which can be, as you mentioned, there's some greasy grid roads out there given the the mild temperatures that we've seen.
1: Well, I mean, you know, we can handle when it's plus five for you know for the afternoon and it freezes overnight because it stiffens it up overnight and you can usually move your stuff in the morning. But the temperature we've had in the past week and a half has just been unbelievable, especially after minus 35, two weeks before that. So, what the problem here is that we usually call this the 100 days of hell, at least in Alberta. So, it's more like 75 days. Uh, whereas spring breakup comes, whether you look like it or not, usually within a few days of March 15th. So, that means you want to get as much activity done before March 15th. Well, we've now lost a week plus, mm-hmm. And until it freezes up some more, You know, a lot of people that were getting pretty busy from what I've been told, you know, kind of coming to a standstill for a bit.
0: Chatting with Brian Zinchuk this morning, PipelineOnline.ca. So does that account for, it seems as though drilling is down right now in the province, am I right?
1: Yeah, the drilling numbers aren't great, but honestly, I think these numbers are not reflective of the the bad weather. I think that warm weather being bad in this case, uh, I think that they might actually drop a little bit lower here before they come back up we had 17 rigs in southeast Saskatchewan, one of which was drilling for ash. this is on Monday. Uh, three in uh, southwest Saskatchewan, notably only one was for oil, two were for helium, uh, and also notably Crescent Point isn't drilling there right now, which is odd because they've always been drilling. the uh, west central Saskatchewan, we've got 14 rigs going and five in northwest Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Now, also notable in northwest is that Synovus and Strathcona have dramatically reduced drilling programs, so... I'm not sure if that's weather-related or if that's something else. The total as of uh, yesterday was 39.
0: And and what would what would it normally be? Do we have a normal that we would see this time of the year?
1: Honestly, you know, the normals we used to have, is just throw them out the window. I mean, 10 years, ago, we would have 110 rates working at this time. Right. And so, then oil crashed, and then people got more efficient. But, you know, the, and then this, in the uh, fall, our drilling numbers were much lower than this. So I don't even know what the normal is. And I do this every day.
0: So I'm curious to know, Brian, I, I was reading you, uh, writ, written an article the other day about the uh, oil prices right now and uh, the fact that they're making no sense. How do, the, how do the wars that are going on in the world, particularly the one that Russia's involved in, how does that impact oil prices?
1: Well, it used to be for decades, probably all of your my life. If there's a war uh, that involves a major oil producer such as Iran, Iraq, uh, you know, the uh, Russia, that sort of thing, that would cause what they would call a geopolitical risk and the price of oil would jump 10, 20, 30, 40 dollars per barrel. Uh, And right now we've got one of the largest oil producers and exporters in the world, Russia, uh, still at war in Ukraine, uh, still under sanctions, uh, yet it's uh, successfully shipping its oil on this dark fleet of tankers that no one really wants to talk about because people like India are still buying their oil. Uh, we've got a
0: war at
1: one of the choke points, the Bab el-Mandab, which is the uh, southern part of the Red Sea. And, I mean, that is one of the major issues. Uh, if you take a look at the map I posted on the website there, you'll see that almost all major shipping that usually would go through the Red Sea into the Suez Canal is now being routed around the southern corner of Africa. That, that's tremendous impact on the entire global economy. Uh, and now we've got uh, some people attacking American base in Jordan. So uh, Iran is behind all these. Iran is behind the Hamas uh, attack. It's behind the Houthis attacking Babel Mandab. They're not behind the Russians. That's one thing they're not behind. They're behind the attack on the Americans in Jordan. And, you know... Still, oil prices are $73, 75 per It just doesn't make any sense.
0: What we are seeing, though, now is some of the G7 countries basically stepping up with a crackdown, some enforcement uh, on the oil cap for shipping. But some people are saying it's a little bit too, too little too late. This has been going on for a long time and basically being left untouched.
1: Well, I mean, you know, uh, do you really want to enforce something that's going to cause the cost of your domestic energy to go up? You know, so, yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing something about it, really. Sure we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that
0: almost has a conspiracy feel behind it, Brian.
1: <laughs> uh, well, if reality sucks, that's what it is. Uh, so let touch on oil prices here. Sure. Uh, so the, those tankers I was referring to that uh, is priced in the Brent uh, benchmark, which right now is $78.27 U.S. West Texas Intermediate, which is the North American benchmark, is $73.01. And this is the interesting thing. Uh, Just about $19 less than that is Western Canadian Select, which is $53.98. And on oilprice.com, you can find the price of their oil from every single blend around the world, even my Dale blend, which is interesting. And I I was scanning through this, and I noticed something the other day, and I I have to do something to write about this. Do you realize that almost every single oil price on the planet – is in excess of $60 or $70. Uh, there's only one or two in the 50s, and one of those just happens to be less than cane select. So we're losing a big chunk of money. If we, uh, And this is where the Trans Mountain Pipeline, if it ever gets finished, and it's not finished because they've run into yet another technical problem, uh, that will have a big impact on less than select. Mm-hmm. If it improves our price by, let's say, uh, $6 per barrel, and you multiply that by the three million barrels are sold to the export per day, uh and then you multiply that by 365 uh days a year, that's an impact for the Canadian economy of at least so this is being very conservative, eight point seven billion. And I'm sure the, the numbers would be much, much higher than that.
0: So before, before we get into, I want to talk about the Trans Mountain Pipeline in a second, Brian, but I, will have one, one other question on basically oil production. Chatting today with Brian Zinchuk, pipelineonline.ca. You talked about Russia and its oil production. It's interesting to me. I just read an article that was in the New York Times the other day about the oil production in the United States. I, I'm shocked to know under President Joe Biden, oil production is at an all time high. 13.3 million barrels of oil a day. And this is this is of course uh a climate focused democrat who said during his campaign that he would end fossil fuel. So why are we seeing that and how is that impacting the the oil market in the world?
1: Well, I guess that would be definitely a case of Biden being do as I say not as I do. I mean, the uh the reality is that under uh democratic presidents, oil production has grown tremendously, grew enormously under Obama in North Dakota, went from zero to euro, went from 90,000 barrels to 1.2 million barrels during the Obama administration. Uh, So these things do happen. They just don't like to actually admit it.
0: Right. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back with Brian Zinchuk, I want to talk about the Trans Mountain Pipeline. I also want to talk about the fact that between a lack of wind and a drought, meaning a lack of water, Provinces all around us are having problems with power. They're having to import power. Talk about what that means for Saskatchewan and some new SMR deals that are opening a path to new forms of energy in our province. That and a whole lot more with Brian Zinchuk when we come back right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Thanks so much for listening in today. We're chatting with Brian Zinchuk from pipelineonline.ca. We check in with Brian each and every month, and this is our monthly check-in. Brian, before we took a quick break, you started talking a little bit about the uh, pipeline. I'm wondering if we can go back to that now and, and talk about that just for a second. W- where are things at? I understand we've hit another snag when it comes to the Trans Mountain Pipeline.
1: Yeah, so the uh, in the lower mainland there, just as you're coming out of Fraser Valley, they've got a... Uh, they're trying to do a, bo- a bore where they're kind of going through a mountain, and basically, uh, it's not working out very well. And the problem is that they, they have to do a lot more work on it and, they've, and they've got try something else. And it's just like a bridge. Imagine right now they're building a bridge between Detroit and Windsor. Now, let's say you've got 98% of it there, but you don't have the last 50 meters. Do you have a bridge? No, you have a uh, some modern arch. Well, that's the same thing as a pipeline. Until the entire thing is complete from one end to the other, 100% uh, finished, tested, and capable, you don't have a pipeline. And that's where we're at. So it's nearly complete, but it's not complete. And until it is, no oil can flow. So this is a big problem. You've been in your head against this for a while, and uh, all the predictions that oh we're going to start having oil flowing in February, not on your life.
0: No. And has there been any projections, Brian, on what that will do for Saskatchewan oil prices? I know you've you've hinted at it a couple of times.
1: Yeah, so no Saskatchewan oil is ever going to flow through the Trans Mountain pipeline because Trans Mountain originates in uh, Edmonton. Uh, our northwest oil goes to Hardesty, and then from Hardesty it, it goes one direction, goes south, it does not go west. So uh, we're not going to see any oil from that. What it will do, however is increase the price of oil uh, in the Alberta market, which then, because our heavy oil goes into the Alberta market, uh, it will, a rising tide will all both. It will improve the price for that. That will result in a financial improvement for our producers and therefore for our royalties
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, you know I I agree with you. I mean, I think it it I've heard you talk about that notion of a rising tide and how that will affect oil prices for, for all of us and, and so, you know, hopefully we can get that completed in the next little bit. So, let's talk energy transition for a second here. We've we've got about 6 minutes, 5-6 minutes left. Um there's a few different things I want to talk about. First of all, you and I were talking off air about the fact that We've seen a drought in Western Canada, which means that both B.C. and Manitoba, which are hydro-rich provinces, are being forced to import power from other jurisdictions. We saw big problems in Alberta through the Christmas break where they actually had to shoulder-tap Saskatchewan and say, can we buy a little bit of power from you because otherwise we're going to be going cold at night. What does that say for the state of of the industry that we're seeing in Western Canada?
1: Well, number one, it says every jurisdiction better make sure they have their own uh Capacity to power themselves in case their neighbors don't have any extra. So if if uh, Manitoba is short on power, they won't have anything to provide us if we need it. So we need to be self-sufficient ourselves. Same thing for Alberta. Uh, over the last 24 hours, Alberta's wind generation has remained at one percent or less, generally less for 24 hours. In fact, at points last night, I punched into my calculator. It actually don't even remember how to do scientific uh, notation it was so low it, it had to round up to hit 0.07 percent output that's what it was at ten ten last night and actually at three in the morning it hit even less than that because it's covered at two megawatts out of 4481 uh because the temperatures were mild alberta did not have grid alerts this time uh saskatchewan was sending the maximum that it could we just recently uh uh, as of yesterday, actually, uh, have that interconnection back up to 153 megawatts capacity. That's the fast power tells us, and we were using it. They they needed it. So that's a big issue uh, for them. they built so much wind, and now they can't depend on it. Manitoba, is, you know, they get all the water from Saskatchewan, as well as their own, and all the water from, Al- from Alberta, and uh, the river's running dry because it's so dry much of a drought. That also impacts our hydro production, by the way, on the Saskatchewan River.
0: Mm-hmm. So speaking of the electrical grid, the last time you were here, we were talking about this notion of doubling the grid and what that's going to look like. Um, more has come out on this in the last little bit. SAS Power, by the way, has been talking about an SMR deal just uh, that they announced just this past week. I'm curious to your thought on on all of that. The We talked about this last time. The doubling of the grid is no small feat. It's not as simple as in doubling capacity, but it's, we have to distribute that electricity to every home in the province as well.
1: Exactly. So, uh, a week ago today, SAS Power uh, Inc. a deal to further development of small modular reactors with the chosen provider, which is General Electric Apache. And uh, I asked, you know, how, when they, it was, was first announced two years ago, at that point, SaskPower Power was talking about four reactors. And then last summer, uh, Minister Don Morgan said, well, maybe up to eight or nine, he told uh, Mr. Gormley. I asked the premier the next day how many reactors. He said, well, we don't really know because we might build some big ones. So last week I said, well, how many reactors? How much are they going to cost? And They wouldn't say on either of those points. But the CEO of Ruth and Pandia, did say, we're forecasting a grid that uh, in that 13,000 to 15,000 megawatt range by 2050, and it's currently 5,400. So that means increasing the size of the Saskatchewan electrical grid by a factor of 2.4 to 2.7 in 25 years, 10 months, and 22 days from today.
0: Mm -hmm. Pretty aggressive.
1: That's the equivalent of, right now they're twinning the highway south of Regina. Uh, Imagine if you twinned every single road, every single street, uh, alleyway, freeway, in the entire province and did it all in 25 years. Because that's exactly the equivalent of what we have to do for the electrical infrastructure. We have to essentially more than double the amount of carrying capacity of every line along every road, along of every uh, big pylon you see near Mydale, uh, everything. And that's generation, that's the pedestals in your backyard, it's the wires that uh, run your electrical vehicle charger for your pickup truck, all of that in 25 years.
0: Students or potential future students that are looking for what they're going to go into, this might dictate the vocation they choose, given there will be definitely a call for workers in that industry over the next little while. I'm strongly suggesting
1: my soon-to-be 17-year-old son become an electrician, and he's likely going to pursue that.
0: Well, Brian, we've run out of time, but uh, I do look forward to the check-in next month. And uh, if we can swing it, I think it's always good if we can have a bit of a chat like we did today and then even open up the phone lines for calls. I know we're not going to do that today. You didn't have time for that, but uh, maybe we can swing that next month. Thank you. Brian Zinchuk from Pipeline Online, a regular visitor for us, talking oil and gas and energy in our province. And we always appreciate his perspective and point of view on things. Well, coming up in a second, we're going to switch gears for the next little bit. We're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, how it's being used for good in our communities. We've got an interview. We'll talk about that. Also some shocking uses for AI that could be causing you to lose money, could be defrauding you at work and at home. And there's all kinds of challenges with that. And then we'll open it up for your thoughts and your calls as well. So Couple talks on artificial intelligence and then your thoughts when we come back on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.